I was doing some research, and I came across this research poll um, and about religion in our world and where, um, what's going on in our world. Now, this is like our great big world. Uh, 31% of the world's population is, uh, identifies as Christian. 31%. That's 2.3 billion people identify as Christian that claim the name of Christ. That's a lot of people, 2.3 billion. What's also interesting is that 24% of our world is Muslim. That's 1.8 billion people. Now, I want you to know this. Christianity had a 600-year head start on Islam. And in that 600 years, that 600-year time difference, uh, Islam has grown uh, all faster than Christianity has. So like I said, 1.8 billion people in the world identify as Muslim. By 2035, babies born into Muslim families will exceed babies born into Christian families. By 2035, there will be more babies born into Muslim families than, than families that are identified as Christian. By 2060, the world's population is expected to increase by 32%. 32% in the next 42 and a half years to over 9 billion people on the planet. By 2060, now again, 32% population growth, but by 2060, Islam will grow by 70%. That's 70% growth rate for Islam over the next 42 and a half years. In contrast, Christianity will grow by 34%. So Islam is expected to grow twice as fast as Christianity over the next 42 and a half years. By 2060, there will be nearly as many Muslims, 3 billion, as Christians, 3.1 billion. Like I said, we had a 600-year head start, and yet by 2060, in 42 and a half years, there will be almost as many Muslims on the planet as Christians. Currently, 16% of the world's population, that's 1.17 billion, identify as religiously unaffiliated. That's 1.17 billion people who don't claim any religious affiliation at all. And between 2015 and 2020, in that five-year period leading up to 2020, research suggests that 8.1 million people will leave the Christian faith with the highest concentrations in Europe and North America. That's 8 million people who are going to walk away from their faith in the next, uh, between 2015 and 2020. 8 million people, per, per, uh, most of them in uh, Europe and North America. That's a lot of people who just say, you know what, I'm done with it. Now, it's amazing to me how fast Christianity has grown because when it started, it was Jesus and 12 guys. Jesus and 12 guys started this whole thing nearly 2,000 years ago. And, uh, and it's grown to, to what, two and a half, almost two and a half billion people on the planet right now? That's amazing. I mean, who could have predicted such a thing that that would happen? Well, it just so happened that Jesus predicted that that would happen. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus said, My, the gospel's going to go out, the good news is going to go out, and people are going to believe, and it's going to grow, and it's going to cover the whole world. And sure enough, Christianity has gone to, to almost every corner of the planet. Um, uh, but we also see that it is starting to wane. In, in Europe, for example, you have cathedrals and churches that stand as monuments to a dead faith. They say that Europe is a post-Christian continent. In other words, it has moved beyond Christianity. Christianity has lost its cultural relevance. It has lost its influence. And now Europe is a post-Christian continent. They are saying the same thing about North America, that North America is well on its way to becoming a post-Christian.
Christian continent, that the influence of Christianity in the United States and in Canada especially is waning and we are losing influence and we are losing uh, the influence that we have in our society and in people's lives. In fact, in, in America, the fastest growing religious sect of our society are the nuns. And I'm not talking the N-U-N-S. That's not growing. It's the N-O-N-E-S. And the nuns are those who select none on a census form when they're asked what their religious affiliation is. They say none. And of those people, the ones who say none, that have no religious affiliation anymore, 78% of them used to have a religious affiliation. 78% of them used to go to church. And now they're saying none. We call them the duns, D-O-N-E-S. So the duns and the nuns are the fastest growing segment of religion in America. People who used to go to church and now no longer go, and they don't want anything to do with it. They love Jesus. They still love Jesus, but they don't like the church, and they don't like what the church stands for, and they don't like the way the church acts, and they don't like the, the things the church represents. And it's because we've done a very poor job of representing Jesus. We've done a very poor job of loving people in Jesus' name. We've done a very poor job of sharing God's love with people. And so the church, the world looks at the church and says, what, or, or we're just completely irrelevant. And, and people get up, preachers get up and just preach boring lectures on Sunday mornings. And they sing songs that are boring. And they sit in, you know, uh, buildings that are half empty or, or, or three quarters empty. And it just seems like we have no influence in our world anymore. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the influence that we should be having and the things that we should be doing and how we should be loving people in Jesus' name. That doesn't mean that we just sign off on everything that they do and, oh, whatever you do is fine. That, that's not the case. But it means that we need to stop focusing on the wrong things and start focusing on the right thing, which I believe is to love people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the thing we need to do. So I want you to uh, grab your Bible. If you brought a Bible, great. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right. You can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 738. Uh, or you can always use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. Now, we are studying a series this summer called The Short Stories Jesus Told. It's all about the parables Jesus told in the book of Luke. And we picked out 13 parables, and we're talking about those all summer long. We've looked at famous parables like the parable of the Good Samaritan. We looked at the parable of the, the prodigal son. Uh, but we've also seen some less uh, well-known parables, including today's. There's two little parables we're going to look at, and they are a little less well-known uh, but they're very, very important, and I think they're very timely uh, as to how, uh, as to what we can expect in the future, and, and how it, Jesus isn't quite what we expect. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, like I said, if you got your Bible, great. Uh, turn to Luke 13, and we're going to set up the scene first in verses 10 through 17, and then we'll get to the parables in verses 18 through 21. Now in Luke 10, uh, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Uh, Jesus is in a synagogue on a Sabbath, and he's teaching. So Je they often had guest teachers uh, speak in the synagogue, and sure enough, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's teaching on this day. Now, he spots a woman in the crowd who is hunched over and has been for 18 years. She is being tormented by an evil spirit that has her bent over and hunched over for 18 years. Could you imagine being hunched over in the back for 18 years. 
That's a long time. 18 years. And Jesus sees her in the crowd. And he has compassion on her. And he calls her up to him. And this is what he says. Uh, in, in verse um, 12. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Notice what he doesn't do. Notice that he doesn't say, tell you what, if you'll praise God, I will heal you. If you'll give God glory, I'll, I'll straighten up your back. No, it, he just has compassion on her, and he just loves her. And because he loves her, he is motivated to action, and he reaches out, and he does something. He defies convention, he defies custom, and he puts his hands on her and sets her free from her infirmity. And for the first time in 18 years, she stands up straight. No more pain, no more hunched over. And he heals her. And then she praises God. And the people are in awe of what Jesus is doing. The people are just thrilled at what Jesus is doing, except for one guy, and that's the leader of the synagogue. Notice what uh, he says uh, in, um, in verse 14. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Now, they saw the work that, they said that Jesus healing her was work because that's what physicians did. That's what doctors did. Doctors healed people, and that's what they did for a living, and so healing people is obviously work. And, and the leader of the synagogue says, you can't work on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says this. The Lord answered him, verse 15, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And Jesus is accusing them of having more compassion and more love for their animals than they do for people. That you love your animals more than you love people. And you're, you'll, you'll, lead your, you'll lead your animal out to get food and water, and you'll feed your, your animals, and you'll water your animals on the Sabbath, because you're, you're concerned about them, but you're not concerned about this woman, this daughter of Abraham? You're not concerned about her at all and her infirmity? That's not right. And then Luke writes this. When he had said this, Jesus said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. It goes to show you how out of touch people can be with God. Because here is God, Jesus, in, God in human flesh, and he is healing this woman and it is obviously the will of God that Jesus healed this woman. And yet people just don't get it. Completely out of touch with what God is doing and the will of God. So Jesus then goes on to tell them two, two parables. Look at verses 18 and 19. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Now the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. Wherever God is ruling and reigning, that is his kingdom. And, and so, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Now, you'll see up there on the screen a picture of a mustard seed. Now, that is a normal human hand, and within that normal human hand is this tiny little seed. That is a mustard seed. Now, 
a mustard seed is very insignificant. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the smallest seeds there is. But when you plant it, it will grow up into a tree, not a shrub, not a bush, but an actual tree 10 to 15 feet tall. A 10 to 15 foot tree grows from that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. That the kingdom that I'm establishing is going to grow. And it's going to grow exponentially. And sure enough, it has. From 12 guys in Jesus, it has grown to 2.3 billion people today. Not including the billions of people who have lived in the past and trusted in Jesus for salvation. So, the, it's just a small little seed, but it grows into a big tree, big enough that birds can perch in its branches. It's not what you expect. It's not what you expect at all. And then Jesus tells him another parable. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, the large amount of flour he's talking about in the Greek is what we would, is about a half a bushel or 50 pounds of flour. Now, I was going to go to Costco and buy a bag, a 50-pound bag of flour and carry it up here, but <laughs> I don't work out. So um, for <laughs> I'd be like carrying it up on stage and my back would go out and then <laughs> we'd be in all kinds of trouble. No sermon today, woohoo! Um, 50 pounds of flour. And yet you can take just a tiny amount of yeast and a little bit of water and you can mix that water and that yeast into that flour and you knead it need the dough, and it'll work all the way through the dough, and it will actually cause the dough to double in size. When the dough rises, it will double in size. Just a tiny amount of yeast can have such a big impact. Such a tiny little seed can create such a big tree, and it's not what you expect. Because Jesus wasn't what people were expecting. He wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who was going to come in and kick out the Romans. They were expecting a Messiah who was going to come and establish a powerful kingdom and restore the glory of Israel. That Israel was going to be a nation again that was uh, on top. And he, they were going to have a temple and, they were going to ha and Jesus was going to be their king and the Messiah was going to be their ruler and he was going to rule the nations. And he was going to get rid of those Romans and allow them to be a nation again with no more Roman occupation. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to start a revolution. He came to start a movement, a movement based on love. He didn't come to establish an army with swords and shields. No, he came uh, to establish a family. He came to establish a church based on love. He didn't come uh, to restore the glory of Israel. He came to reconcile people to God. And when he died on the cross for our sins, that's what he did. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him and repent from your sins, and you confess your faith and you get baptized, at that moment God washes away your sins by his grace. He forgives your sins. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He changes your destiny. He changes your life. That's because of his great love for us. It's because Jesus loves us so much. In fact, what did Jesus say in John three sixteen? For God so the world that he gave his one and only that whoever believes in him will not but have everlasting see it's all about the love that God has for the world it's all about the love that God has for you and me and, and, and the problem is, is that we're trying to change laws 
You know, we're trying to change a culture. And we think that by enacting legislation and, and, and changing rules and changing laws that we're going we're gonna to see people's lives change. We're going to change hearts, and that's not what happens. That's not the way it works. That's not the way things go. You, you see, it, it comes down to this. Governments can change laws, but only love can change lives. Governments can change laws, but only love can change lives. You see, we're trying to, we're, we're going about this the wrong way. We're trying to, to, to write letters to congressmen, and, and, and we're trying to protest, and we're trying to picket, and, and we're trying to, to get senators and congressmen to change their minds and, and to change the laws of the land, but it's not changing anyone's hearts. Governments can change laws, but only what can change lives? Only love can change lives. And, and so I think what I need you to do and what I need to do, what we need to do is we need to start loving people in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to start sharing his love with people each and every day. And, and that means everybody. That means every person. That means every people. That means everyone. We need to love them in Jesus' name every single day. Again, it doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to condone everything that they do. It doesn't mean we're going to say, oh, no, everything's fine, whatever goes. No, 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 no. But it means we are going to love people in Jesus' name, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing, we're still going to love them. And it doesn't matter if they ever step foot in a church building. We're still going to love them. Because notice what Jesus did when he healed this woman on the Sabbath. He healed her, then she praised God. And he didn't put any conditions on his love for this woman. He didn't put any conditions on his love for her. He didn't say, well, if you'll praise God, then I'll heal you. Or if you'll do this for me, then I'll heal you. Or if you promise to come to synagogue every Sabbath for the rest of your life, then I'm going to heal you. No, he saw her, he loved her, had compassion on her, and then he healed her. And then she praised God. Because her life was changed. Her life was transformed. And when we love people, when I love people, and when you love people, and you love people, and you love people, when you love people in the name of Jesus Christ, lives change. And that's what we're called to do. To love people in the name of Jesus Christ. Unconditionally. Because the love that God has for you and the love that God has for me is an unconditional love. He loved us first. Uh, what does it say in 1 John? We love because he first loved us. That's why we love people, because God loved us first. Before we ever knew about him, before we ever turned to him, before we ever asked for forgiveness, before we ever got baptized, God loved us first. So I want you to love people. That's all I want you to do. I just want you to love people. Well, who should I love? Well, let's start with what Jesus said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good place to start. Love your neighbor like the person who lives next door to you or the person who lives across the street or the people, person who lives across town. Those are your neighbors. Love those people in Jesus' name. Love your enemy in Jesus' name because Jesus said that too. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? Don't answer that. Supposed to do it. We need to do it. We need to pray for those who persecute us. We need to pray for our enemies and love them in Jesus' name. We need to pray for people who look differently than us. We need to pray for people who look differently than us. And it may be they look differently than us in the way that they dress, pink pants. 
It may be that they look differently than us in the color of their skin. Brown, red, yellow, black, white, don't matter, purple polka dots, green hair, blue hair, no hair. We're going to love people in Jesus' name no matter what they look like. This is what we're going to do. That's what Jesus tells us to do. We're going to love people in Jesus' name. It, it, it doesn't matter what kind of car they drive, how much money they make, how much money they put, they're willing to put in the offering plate. It, it, it doesn't matter how much money they have. Where they live, wrong side of the tracks, this side of the tracks, that side of the tracks, that apartment complex, that country club, it doesn't matter. We're going to love people in Jesus' name, no matter where they live. We're going to love people who act differently than us. Whether they go to a different church across town, or they go to no church at all, or they go to a, a church in a different part of the city, it doesn't matter. We're going to love people in Jesus' name. We're going to love people who sin differently than us. And by the way, we're all sinners, just so you know. In case someone hasn't reminded you lately, like the person in the mirror, let me just tell you right now, we're all sinners. And we're going to love people who sin differently than we do. And so that means we're going to love people who have addictions. And we're going to love people uh, who struggle with alcoholism or struggle with drug addiction. We're going to love people who are gay and straight and, and bi and, and uh, trans and whatever, Whatever you put behind your name, I am this, I am that, I do this, I do that. We're going to love you in Jesus' name. No matter what your sin is, we're still going to love you in Jesus' name. No matter what your struggle is, we're going to love you in Jesus' name. You know why? Because I want to be loved in Jesus' name. And I have struggles with sin. How many of you have struggles with sin? Every hand better go up. If I don't see your hand up, I'll assume you're sleeping. Don't sleep in my message. And if you want to be loved in Jesus' name, then you've got to love people in Jesus' name. If you want to, if you want to be loved in your sin and the, and the struggles that you have, if you want to be loved, then you've got to be willing to love other people, no matter what their sin is. Because again, we can try and legislate these things out of existence. We can try and legislate morality. We can try and, and enact laws that ban this and ban that. We can picket this and protest that and write letters to congressmen and, 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 and the, pro, the White House and whatever. We can write all those letters and we can enact all these laws. And governments can change laws, but only love can change lives. And if we want to see lives changed, if we want to see destinies transformed, if we want to see eternities transformed, then we got to love people in Jesus' name. No matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing, we're going to love people in Jesus' name. Because again, governments can change laws, but only love can change lives. And I want to tell you right now what I believe Christianity boils down to. I want to tell you right now what I think this whole thing is about. What we do here on Sundays, what we do here during the week, what, we, what I've given my life to, this is what I believe it all boils down to. And the goal is to change lives for God's glory. Because that's what Jesus did. He healed this hunched over woman who had been hunched over for 18 years. He healed her and God got the glory. He changed her life and God got the glory. And if we will do what Jesus did, and if we will love people, and let me tell you right now, like I said, this message is called Not What You Expected. It's not what you expected. People don't expect the church to love them. That's why they're walking away from it. Because too many people have found judgment and condemnation in church buildings when they should be finding love and forgiveness and acceptance and, and Jesus. 
That's what they should be finding, and they're not finding it there. Instead, they're being judged for the way they look, or the way they act, or the way that they sin. They're being condemned because of the way that they look, or the way that they act, or the way that they sin. And they're being judged for it and condemned for it, and that's why they're walking away from it. I heard a story once. It's in the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by, by Philip Yancey. And he told a story uh, of a woman who was prostituting out her, her six-month-old child. And it's like, what a horrible, sickening thing to do. And she's, she was doing it for money because she couldn't afford groceries and she couldn't afford drugs. And so she's prostituting out her baby to disgusting men. And somebody said to her, have you thought about going to the church and ask for help? And she said, church? Why don't I go to the church? I feel bad enough as it is. I don't want to feel any worse. That's the reputation that we have. That's what people think about the church. And that's why people leave. And that's why people are giving up. And that's why they're checking none. And that's why they're checking out. And that's why they're checking done. Because we're not loving people in Jesus' name. And until we do, until we start, until we commit ourselves to it and focus on it and determine that we are going to change lives for God's glory by loving people in Jesus' name, they're going to continue this mass exodus out the doors. And we can't do that, folks. Not in my church. Not in your church. Not in our church. We are going to love people in Jesus' name. Amen? That's what we will do. Like I said, it doesn't mean we go along with everything they do. It doesn't mean that we condone. It doesn't mean that we just, oh, yeah, whatever goes. No, 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 no. There are consequences for sin, and we have to warn people that there are consequences for sin. But we do it in a loving way. We do it with compassion and concern and care because we are concerned about where they spend eternity. We're concerned about their relationship with God. We're concerned because we love people in Jesus' name. That's what we are going to do. And when we do that, when we love people in Jesus' name, their lives will be transformed, their destinies will be changed, their eternities will be changed, and God will be glorified.